welcome to the Les Represent podcast, the podcast about everything lesbian and lady-loving queer and everything in that spectrum. Today, I have a super special guest. She has been on my guest list for a while now, and you can imagine how my heart picked up when she messaged me first. Oh my goodness. Anyway, I'm going to let her introduce herself. Um, hi. Hi, everyone. Uh, this is Lise McTague. Um, who am I? I am, well, I'm a whole bunch of things. Uh, I'm an author, I'm a podcaster, uh, in real life, I'm a librarian, and I also make props from video games, and I play ice hockey, oh, and I'm a parent, sort of, a step-parent, which is the evilest type of parent, apparently. I mean, I don't know, on paper, all of those things sound ridiculously sexy. Like, if you had somebody, like, describe to you, oh, I have this new girlfriend, and they go through this list, usually, like, three of those appear on that list of, wow, that's sexy. Sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so. So, where, where do we begin? You have a lot of a lot of things you're juggling. Like, how do you make time for everything? Not only being, even though you are the evilest of parents, like, or step-parent, mm-hmm, evilest mm-hmm. of parents. I don't know how that sounded. That sounded like I was literally just calling you a monster. I wasn't trying to. <laughs> this is how this well, podcast is going to go, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine. You can call me evil. After, I mean, heck, my stepdaughter, who is 14, aspires to be evil, so... You know, it's, it's all good. It's kind of just teenagers in general. Like, they're just like little mad scientists, like, without even realizing what they're doing half the time. It's it's insane. Yeah, yeah. Though, so, you know, if anyone is going to take over the world, it's going to be her. Oh, my gosh. So. The consequences. Mm-hmm. Or lack of consequences. Um, so, how do you find time for all of that? Like, how do you prioritize? Oh, gosh. Well, I mean... The day job, unfortunately, and and the fam- well, the day job, unfortunately, and the family, less unfortunately, come first, uh, and everything is kind of just shoehorned in around the rest of it. Um, I definitely take time for some things and not for others. Like, for example, when I'm writing, I'm doing less prop making, and when I have a big prop like or cosplay project going, I usually tend to do it while I'm you know, waiting on a manuscript to kind of marinate or to hear back from beta readers or stuff like that. I I have this problem. I don't like to be bored. And so I keep finding stuff to fill my time. I thought that was normal. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yes, but every now and again, my wife uh, indicates that perhaps I've taken it to the extreme. Is that a little put a little too much on your plate at one time? Yeah, I mean, I I actually really rely on her to kind of pull me back when I'm committing too much to other stuff and not to the family. And she's really great about doing it in a way that doesn't make me feel shitty. So, <laughs> I know she's she's very awesome, and she's also she's very protective of my writing time and my creative time. Some sometimes oh, even more amazing. than I am. Mm-hmm. I love supportive spouses. They're the best. <laughs> yeah, she's really great. Um, she's also one of my beta readers, which can be fun. Oh my gosh, that could also, like, I, I'm just thinking, like, my wife also, well, she used used to write. She, like, like takes one time out of the year to write, and then she just goes on with whatever she's doing. And she mm-hmm. had me be her beta reader for a minute, 
And, she, you know, after each chapter, I would give her feedback. And then she was like, okay, I don't like this kind of pressure you're putting on me for the next chapter. <laughs> She's like, this is not fanfiction.net. You can't just, like, literally sit there and say, where's the next chapter to my face? <laughs> I'm assuming your situation is different. It, it is different. Um, Lynn actually, so she, she only beta reads. She doesn't alpha read for me. So she reads it once I have a, a final sort of first draft. Uh, and uh, uh, that's actually her preference. Um, I do have a couple of people who alpha read for me because I find that that pressure of where's the next chapter? I need to know what happens next to be very helpful. So especially I have problems in the middle of a book where things kind of tend to get bogged down a bit. And, you know, I start getting a little bit too much into my own head and being like, oh, this is crap. Why is this taking so long? It's so sloggy. No one is going to want to read this. And then I have my couple of readers who are like, the last chapter was great. When, when do I get the next one? And it's like, okay, well, as long as they're entertained, I can keep going. It did not occur to me that there was such a thing as an alpha reader and a beta reader. And I don't know why I never knew this information. <laughs> well, not everyone empl employs both. You know, there are a lot of a lot of authors who don't care to have anyone read that the first draft because I mean, frankly, the first draft is awful. Uh, you know, compared to to what it'll hopefully become at the end, and some people just aren't willing to let other people see it in that state. I my alpha readers are chosen because they're actually terrible beta readers. They're not very good at giving feedback. Oh my goodness! But they're great cheerleaders. And when I'm writing, I don't need someone to tell me, hey, by the way, that chapter that you just wrote, you need to change all of these things. Because then I'll spend all my time changing all the things, and I'll never get to the next chapter. Right. Yeah, so for me, it works really well to have someone who's really excited about what I'm doing, and they want to see what's going to happen next, but isn't giving me feedback just yet. Because I'm not in the right headspace for, for feedback in that first draft. Sounds like you got yourself like the perfect setup. It, it's taken a bit of, of tweaking. It, you know, it took me a few books to get there, but yeah, it works really well. And and my wife, has, you know, is great at giving feedback. Um, and she said, you know, she didn't want to read the first draft because, well, while while I was reading it, because I, I so I always go through after the first draft and then do like a one draft one point five where I go ahead and like take out the really terrible typos and that sentence shouldn't be a whole full whole paragraph. Maybe we should add some, you know, periods and make that into multiple ideas instead of just one long one um, and take out the really egregious stuff. And when that stuff is left in, she gets really distracted by it. So. Right. Right. I can imagine. Yeah. Mm hmm. OK, so let's let's talk about your books since it, it, your wife respects your creative and writing time. So has that always been a it's always been a passion for you. Have you always wanted to be an author? That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> ah, um, yes and no. I, I recall writing a, a novel. I think it was like five chapters when I was in the eighth grade with a friend of mine. It was terrible. And when I was in art school, I wrote a couple of pieces of X-Files fan fiction. Nice. Um, yeah, also terrible. Uh. <laughs> Mostly it was an excuse for me to give Mulder a hard time, which I really enjoy doing by, you know, in my writing. Um, but no, it's, I've always created, but I always saw myself as, as more of a visual creator. So 
I have a, a bachelor in fine arts, which I mostly use these days by doing prop making. Um, because I don't actually intend to make any money off of it because I don't like selling my artwork, which is a terrible way to make a living. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, but I went through this period after art school where I was really burned out from it. And then I was at, in a period of my life where I just didn't have the space to practice, you know, to, to work on my art. And then I got insomnia. Interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah, I've always been a terrible sleeper, but I had two years where I got very little sleep. And in the only thing I think that kept me from just going completely around the bend was I started telling myself stories at night when I was not falling asleep. Because it would give my it gave my brain a way to pass the time, but it was something that I could let go of when sleep actually finally got there, you know? Mm-hmm. And after two years of doing that, I was like, shit. Oh, are we allowed to swear? Of course, you do, you. Okay. Oh, phew. All right. (laughs) After two years of telling myself, like, the same story, I was like, shit, I'm going to lose this if I don't start writing it down. And plus, I kept on just sort of retreading the same ground, and I really wanted to know about other parts of the story. So I started writing it down, and that's how my first trilogy came about. Um... That's uh, on Deception's Edge. It's a military space opera sci-fi with lesbian main characters, because why the hell not? Um, wow. Yeah, funny story. That was originally going to be one book, because I, I had no idea when I started writing it how the story in my head would translate to paper. And it turns out it takes a lot more words to describe what's going on than it does like in your head where they're like, yeah, yeah. And then they do that. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like a third of the way through what would become Depths of Blue. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> this is going to be like 900 pages if it's one book. And then I had to start looking at, at the story that I'd you know, outlined by that point and be like, OK, where, where can I break this up into maybe a trilogy. So I actually wrote my that, that that trilogy back to back to back and then started fleshing out and polishing the first one so I could go and get get myself a publisher. Do you want to go through your journey of finding a publisher because I know that's not particularly easy either. Well, actually I got picked up by the first place I applied to, which I don't say as as a brag, I just feel like I was I was exceptionally lucky and I had done a lot of research by, oh no, the shock, the horror, it was awful, by reading a bunch of Lesvik novels. (laughs) 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 What a a dark period in my life. Um, And, you know, had had kind of honed in on the, the houses that did sort of the kind of stuff that I was interested in writing and, and who's, you know, that, that had good quality and also were bringing out a number of, of books a year. And so Bella Books was the first publishing house that I sent my manuscript to. And to my complete and total shock, they they picked me up right, right away, pretty much. So, yeah. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. You know, and, and unfortunately, this is one of those things where it's like, oh, okay, so it's always going to be like that. And then I 
sent some short stories out to various places and got cruelly rejected. So, you know, I feel like a little bit more legit of a writer for having had some rejection. I mean, is rejection ever anything but cruel? I mean, I guess people could try to make it not so bad, but... Yeah, but they can't help the fact that, you know, you, you sent them your baby and they were like, ooh, yeah, no, your baby's not good enough. Whew. Lay it on thick. So mm-hmm. what would be your advice for other people to how to deal with that kind of rejection? <sighs> Gosh. Well, let yourself feel it, but don't wallow in it. Mm, that's a fine line. It, it is. And on the one hand, I mean, at, le- at least for me, I have to let myself feel it. And usually that, that involves like a day to two days of just stomping around and being grumbly to everyone and trying not to be because it's not my family's fault that, you know, so-and-so didn't pick up the story. Um, but, you know, it, it still hurts. And I still have to acknowledge that because for me, when I don't, when I push things down, they just come out later and worse. Right, right. That's yeah. that's tend to be how those things work. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I would like to meet those people who are, who can just put Com- their feelings and com- compartmentalize. That's the word I'm yeah. looking for. Jesus, why does this always happen when we're recording? <laughs> uh, who people who are able just to put their emotions into a box and then just ignore it like it doesn't exist. Like I would like to know those people and figure out how they do it so well. But I also know those people probably also have therapy later on in life. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, I can stick stuff in the box, but man, it's it's like a jack-in-the-box full of dynamite. Oh, God. <laughs> that is a perfect example. <laughs> and that thing is going to go off, and you don't know when, but it's not going to be pretty when it does. So, so military space lesbians, um, mm-hmm. what made you want to write about that? That's a, that's a mouthful. So, so what attracted you to that subject? Uh, so I love spy fi spy fi. Sci-fi <laughs> and spec fic. Um and you know, I I've been reading it since well, I've been reading spec fic since I was like in third grade when my mom gave me the the Hobbit as a Christmas present. Um and I was like, sweet, so long, Hardy Boys. <laughs> we're jumping on the fantasy train, which of course led to sci-fi, which led to you know, paranormal, um, sort of everything across the board. Uh, but I've always had, you know, a, a real soft spot for for military sci-fi. I, I have this sort of weird fascination with the military in that I do not wish to be part of the military. I, I have some um, issues with authority. Uh, I see. Uh-huh. Uh, but at the same time, I find, you know, the idea of sort of fighting for something or against something to be just really fascinating. Um, And honestly, when I started telling myself a story, that just seemed to be what what I gravitated toward. And and early on in in sort of the storytelling process, um, I actually had this really vivid dream where the character of of Jack, the the sniper, just kind of came to me, um, which is going to sound kind of (laughs) 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 woo-woo. But I am blessed to have a very vivid dream life. And so, you know, she came to me, and and the story that I've been telling myself had actually been very different until she got dropped into it. And then everything sort of coalesced around 
her as a character and as able to to chart out a much sort of clearer arc um she was you know really jack it was really the first part of that story and then from there everything else got added added around it mm. so can you explain a little bit what your series is about other than military space lesbians <laughs> <laughs> sure um that particular series is about well my main one of my main characters is is jack stowell uh she is a woman who is serving in an all-male army on one side of a civil war that has wrecked this her home planet for about three decades <clears throat> and her, she's she 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 was one half of the sniper pair. The other half, her spotter, was her brother, and who was also helping you know her keep the secret that that she's female, uh, because women don't serve in in this world. Uh, they, they don't serve in the army anyway. Uh, ba basically, it's it's an extremely misogynistic society, and Jack's society is not particularly enlightened, but they aren't as bad as the other guys, as as we would hope to be. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, so she's given, well, her brother is killed, which leads her to some rather self-destructive behaviors. Uh, but she's given an assignment to go uh, in deep into enemy territory and to take out the smuggler that the other side has. Uh, oh, gosh, now it's my turn to search for words. Um, is basically bringing in with the hopes of hiring her to bring them advanced weaponry. Only thing is, Jack doesn't know that the smuggler is female. And so when she shows up to kill the smuggler, is Torin Ivanov, um, and finds out that Torin is a woman, she can't pull the trigger. And so she ends up kidnapping her and bringing her back behind, you know, the, the other... <laughs> bringing her back home, basically. Oh, it uh, sounds with, with like love. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, there's, there's the whole trek through the wilderness, and then... That that that's basically the first book. The first book is is they they trek through the wilderness back to to Jack's home base, and then at the end of the first book they have to head off world. And the second book takes place on Torin's planet, which is a lesbian utopia. Nice. So it's all women. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course that's a bit of a culture shock for Jack. So I can't that... imagine. <laughs> I know, right? Um, so that book is mostly Jack trying to figure out what the hell does she do in this place that's all women where she doesn't have to hide herself and where her particular skill set is not in high demand at all. Oh, that sounds really interesting. Uh-huh. And then, you know, there are like their relationship hijinks. And then in the third book, they have to head back to Jack's home planet um, and a whole bunch of other stuff is ensuing there. Um, I'm not going to get too much into it because I feel like I'm going to spoil some or all of it. Right, right. Yeah. That's completely understandable. I could be like sit here and be like, so off the record. But at the same time, I should probably just read the books myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't be lazy, Erica. Do your homework. Um, <laughs> so... That's fantastic. So sci-fi has always been something that you've really that you've really liked. Um, what is your favorite sci-fi series? 
Oh gosh. Um, hard question. Or, yeah, very hard question because it depends on a lot of things, including my mood. Um, at the moment, I'm actually hap happily snaffling up anything written by Cameron Hurley or Sean and McGuire. Uh, Cameron Hurley writes a whole bunch of um, whole bunch of different sci-fi stuff, and a lot of her stuff is very mm, squishy and grisly. Squishy and grisly. Okay, I'm just imagining steak right now, and I'm hungry. <laughs> but I'm sure you can elaborate in a way that's not food-oriented. <laughs> well, she has a, a novel that is called The Stars Are Legion, where she has... Um, well, and, and it's great. She writes almost exclusively female main characters, which is awesome. Um, but she has these, these these two protagonists who are in world ships, and these world ships are completely organic. And they are crude and populated entirely by women who give birth to parts that are needed by the ships to continue to operate. I'm, like, trying to visualize, and I'm just like... Are surely a ship full of women. Uh huh. There has to be a female romance in there somewhere. Oh yeah. Oh good. Oh good. <laughs> I'm just making sure because you know, you know, people are still arguing that like in Wonder Woman's world and the mascara, there's no lesbians there, even though there's no freaking men on that island. And I'm just oh, like, mm -hmm. if someone's gonna argue that, um, but that's another topic, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, because they all just hold hands and like watch the sunset together. Yeah. Right? Sure. They're just like doing battles and never never getting turned on it's cool it's whatever i mean mm -hmm. sure logic um <laughs> <laughs> so you you went from writing like so you, you picked up writing later on in your life you would say like mm -hmm. around college or after college oh far after college far, yeah far after college yeah far after college okay so what what led you to do podcasting because those are those are very different things yeah so it's kind of a, a whole, like, series of events. So writing led me to reviewing. And I did, I, I reviewed Lesfic for the Lesbian Review mm -hmm. for a couple of years. And while I was doing that, I was, you know, pretty chummy with, with Sheena, who, who runs the Lesbian Review over there. And she would, you know, she had me on a couple on her podcast a couple of times and she was always like, you know, you should start a podcast. And I was like, yeah, I yeah. guess, but you know, what, what am I going to talk about? Who am I going to talk about? And it's one of those things that I just really didn't want to do by myself. And so I, I finally like verbalized that to her, like, no, that this is why I don't want to do it. I don't, you know, I don't want to be the one who has to come up with these ideas and just sitting there talking to myself on a mic doesn't sound like fun. And she was like, ah, I know just the person. And so she actually, <clears throat> excuse me. So she actually hooked me up with Andy and, mm -hmm. you know, at, it, it was pretty funny because it was like, so she hooked me up with Andy. And the first time I chatted with Andy, it was, you know, very much a whole like, you know, let's talk about this whole podcasting thing and and in my head I had already decided that Andy would be like yeah this is dumb I'm not gonna do this and so I was very much like oh no hi, hi here's my podcasting idea okay bye <laughs> and Andy was like no no we can totally work with this and I was like oh what really <laughs> she thought it was an awesome idea didn't she 
I she must have because you know we've been doing it for God two years now. Oh my uh, gosh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know, I just wanted somewhere where we could talk about the kinds of you know pop culture that that excited us, and you know why did it excite us, and and talk about it through our particular lenses, which are you know both lesbian and feminist, and and a lot of times we talk about stuff that is. Um, that has queer characters in it, but not always. Sometimes it's just, you know, what do we find exciting? Uh, and it's a lot of fun. And it's just like having a big old nerdy conversation with Andy while someone records it. Absolutely. And Andy's such such a big personality. She's She's been on the podcast a couple of times. She's kind of a podcast favorite. Uh-huh. Oh, she's and, awesome. Oh, I had the pleasure of actually meeting her in person at Clexicon, and Wow. Talk about bigger than life. <laughs> <laughs> so was, was that this past Clexicon? Yes, it was. I was so sad that you couldn't make it. I was trying I not to bring that oh up. God. I was trying not to bring that up, and I freaking failed. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. I just, I'm still bummed about that. Stupid weather did not cooperate at all. It didn't cooperate for a lot of people. I mean, yeah. it was the first convention I'd ever been to, so I have no points to say yeah yeah i'm sure next year's will be better because i have no idea mm -hmm. but it was fun um and next year i mean they already have the tickets on sale that's crazy mm -hmm. do they have the tickets on sale this early last year like i don't i, th I think I don't so remember. maybe maybe i'm just overexcited and i just don't remember anything <laughs> <laughs> we shall see we shall see about next year mm -hmm. Okay, so what is what is your podcast called for people who would like to find oh, it? Oh, duh. See, I'm so terrible at marketing myself. I never forget. <laughs> I never remember these like super basic things like, hey, where might people find this? And what's your name? And <laughs> uh, Okay, so I, uh, our podcast is called Les Geek Out or the Les Geek Out cast. And it's I do it with Andy Marquette. And it comes out every other Friday. And we are on well, pretty much all the things. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on Stitcher. Um, probably a bunch of other places that I don't even know about because we just set up our thing to just feed out to everyone. Uh, and we have, um, we have a website, which is lesgeekoutcast.com. And so people can access our... our uh, episodes there and we also have a twitter account which is at lgo podcast and i think i hit everything i'm very proud of myself yay that that's hard though like people hear it on podcasts all the time when people just ramble off all of their stuff and that takes practice that's mm -hmm. not something that comes off the cuff like i all the time forget to tell people to like like and review and do whatever for this podcast like literally all the time i will get done with editing it and be like i didn't say it and i said it's too late it's going on air so <laughs> it's it's just something you just kind of it's a work in progress for everyone it's not something that comes naturally to people well and i'm i am super lucky in that i have andy as my podcast partner and she has her shit together <laughs> she she sounds like she is always on top of it like mm -hmm. always so, like, from author to podcaster, and then also to cosplayer. What got you into cosplay? 
Oh gosh. Well, cosplay started, and actually, it's a it's a fairly recent phenomenon in the past three years. So I started making props um, three years ago. My wife was made an offer that we couldn't refuse, and we moved from Wisconsin to North Carolina. And that was all well and good, but I did not realize it was going to take me nine months to find a job. Goodness. Uh-huh. Um, so I was, I was going a little stir-crazy. Uh, you know how I said earlier that I like to have stuff to do? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Yeah. And at first, you know, I just figured, okay, I'll just, I'll just write all day. I'll just crank out, you know, the stories. Uh, but I figured out pretty quickly that I can, I top out at about four hours of writing a day. Like I just can't sustain that for, for more than about four hours. And so I had like half my day where I was just kind of doing nothing, which was actually starting to get really kind of depressing. Um, I was starting to get pretty down on myself. And then my stepson came to me and he, he and I, you know, we're, we're both gamers and we were at that point, we were actually both playing the same video game. And you're both gamers. I'm sorry. I'm just adding to your, to your long list of credentials here. Uh, We will talk about the games later. I would like to know what you guys play. (laughs) Well, we were both playing fallout Four. it had just come out probably uh, six months to a year before. And he was like, Hey, I think we could, you know, could could we make a pipe pistol? Let's let's try and make a pipe pistol. I found this this YouTube video and this guy does it and you know, let's let's let, let, let's make one. And I watched the video and I was like, yeah, we could do that. Um so, you know, and in in the typical fashion of of early teen boys, he lost interest well before he finished his pipe pistol, but I had made like a one pipe pistol and two pipe rifles in that period of time and I was like oh this is kind of cool I'm really enjoying this and so I started I I would write in the morning and then I would work on props in the afternoon and when I had five pipe rifles uh, stacked up in the corner of the bedroom my wife was like okay we need to make a rack for those because they can't just sit in the corner of the bedroom like that I was like yeah sure that that's great. And so we built this rack and it had nine slots on it. And she said, okay, you can't have any more pipe rifles than you have slots on that rack. And I went, oh, because <laughs> I had three more that I was making in, 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 oh, in, in the office, in the office, in the workshop. And I was like, oh, <laughs> well, I guess I need to do something about this. So I opened a Etsy shop <laughs> and then, you know, I got bored with making pipe rifles and pipe pistols even though i don't know if you've played fallout but there's a lot of variation you you can get to in those and so i started going out and and watching videos on other things that i could make and then i started making armor from fallout and then i was selling that on my etsy shop and i was like this is cool i'm keeping busy and i'm making a little bit of money this is this is not too terrible money money (laughs) yeah while i'm unemployed um and then I got a full-time job and was like, shit, I can't do this stuff on the store anymore as much. Um, I tried for a while to like work 40 hours a week and to do uh, <laughs> orders um, as they came in, but that just became, it was just too much. 
Right. That, that was one of those times where my wife did sit me down and was like, e you got to do something about this because we're not seeing you at all. And I was like, ah, okay. So Aww. now I still have the Etsy shop, but I only sell what I've actually made. I don't, you know, have things that people can order on spec and then I make it for them. Mm-hmm. But I still like to make stuff. So I started making costumes for myself. And, of course, my first costume was a, a Fallout 4 soul survivor costume because i had half of it at least you know the armor and the weapons and so just yeah we'll just throw it together some other stuff and it'll be easy and then i was like okay well that was fun what should i do next oh skyrim i'll just make a bunch of stuff from skyrim holy crap do you know how hard that shit is to make I can imagine. I I mean, I see people have booths that do, like, the leather work, and I just look mm-hmm. at that, and I'm like, how do you do any of this? Mm-hmm. And they won't tell me. And I'm like, that's <laughs> fine. I understand. Skyrim stuff, I mean, it, it the, the designs of them are amazing, but everything is so freaking elaborate. It takes me twice as long to make any of the Skyrim stuff as it did the Fallout stuff, because the Fallout stuff, if it looks kind of janky and beat up, yeah, it's supposed to. Yeah, post-apocalyptic, easy. Right. The whole high fantasy stuff, eh, you can't just slap some rust on it and be like, battle damage. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) So, but I do have my my Skyrim costume is finally complete and ready to go. And I, well, I was going to debut it actually at Klexicon, minus the helmet that I just finished. Um, But I'm going to be debuting it at our local con next weekend. So exciting. I look forward to looking yeah. through those pictures. Oh, there will be lots of pictures. Yay. That's good. But that's amazing. Like, putting putting so much effort and work into something like that. Like, I mean, I see people who cosplay online, and I just, I literally cannot fathom people being able to take cloth or cardboard or whatever and like put it into a shape and then put it on their body and they look legit like i'm like how do you guys do anything speaking as someone who never took home ec and doesn't even know how to sew on a button i am completely awestruck <laughs> uh, my grade seventh home ec sewing teacher well she's probably long dead but if she's not she is laughing her ass off somewhere because i told mrs corrigan that I hated sewing so often that she told me at one point that if I, she ever heard me say it again, I was getting an automatic D. How many Ds did you get? None. Oh. Now, it turns out, when, it, when push comes to shove, I'm very much a rule follower, which is very disappointing to me. <laughs> I, I like to cultivate that whole, like, devil may care badass thing, but no. Rules. I mean, so yes, I, have a, I, have a, I feel you. I have issues with authority. And I'm a rule follower. Figure that one out. I mean, I feel you. You just don't like confrontation. <laughs> but God is everyone else not doing their job right, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I completely feel you there. So, But the, the fun thing about the, the stuff that I make for cosplay is that it's all made out of foam. And so it's, you know, it, it's a pretty low barrier to entry to make it because you, you can form it with a heat gun. And you can glue it together, and when you paint it, it looks pretty legit, and it's super lightweight. So, I'm still like, I I just can't picture it. I'm sorry, I'm just not. I don't. How do? <laughs> how do things? How do hobbies? I don't. I just don't know. 
Well, it starts out with a lot of uh, tracking videos down on YouTube and watching to see what other people ah, have YouTube. done. YouTube, it's such a uh -huh. great resource. It it really is. It's, I don't know how people did a lot of this stuff before we had YouTube. I imagine there were like specialists out there who like hoarded their secrets, and everyone's like, "Screw it, no, free mm -hmm. information." Yeah, I mean, you know, YouTube has some sins to answer for, but. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. What it what it's what it's done for the maker community is pretty damn impressive. I I mean, you know how I feel about people who can sew on buttons. I I just everything blows my <laughs> mind. Ah, <laughs> uh, cicadas. There is nothing you can do to avoid them. I'm sure we're gonna hear this on all of the recording in the south. There's just no way to escape them. So let's I guess let's wait a second. To see if they'll die down. But um, hey, while we're waiting a minute, let me let me tell you about something. You listen to podcasts, don't you? I mean, of course you do. Uh, this is not an advertisement, I swear. We're not freaking selling you anything, but there's this awesome app called Podcoin where you can pretty much listen to all your podcasts as you do, but on the slide that you actually get stuff for it. Like you'll be listening to your favorite podcast all day and you'll you'll occur points towards other things like Amazon gift cards or, you know, Starbucks that I love me some Starbucks. I like get one thing from there because I don't like coffee, but I love me some Starbucks. Uh, or, you know, you can even use those points to donate to charities, whatever. I mean, you don't have to pay anything for it. You just sign up. Those cicadas are getting worse. <laughs> you just sign up. And you can use, you know, if you wanted to, you could use the entry code LEZ, basically LEZ, uh, and get yourself 300 points. And you're going to want those 300 points when you're starting off. So it's just like a neat thing you can do. You can download the app for Apple or Android and be on your way. It'll be like, it'll be like, like there's nothing different. You're just listening to the podcast you already listened to, but you get more on the plus. God, those cicadas are bad today. But, um, yeah. So wow, you have a lot going on. How do you how do you balance all this with with family life being, you know, the evil stepmother and all? Mhm. Mm well, it does help that the kids are teenagers at this point. Uh, you know, with a 14-year-old and a 16-year-old, they're fairly self-sufficient. You know, in fact, you get to the point where you're like, "Hey, do you want to hang out?" And they're like, "Nah." Do something. Uh-huh. Yeah, and they're like, "Nah." Where like 3 4 years ago, it's like would have given your left arm for them to be like, yeah, I don't want to spend time with you. <clears throat> so how old were they when you guys, when you, when you got together with your wife? Um, let's see. So they would have been like 10 and 12. Oh, those are ripe ages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, well, it was bumpy when I first moved in. One of the best things I did was realize pretty quickly that I was in over my head and go talk to a family counselor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I was like, I don't know what I'm doing and all I have to go on is my dad's example. And that's a really great example of what not to do with kids, but I don't know what to do with kids. So... I mean, you're still better than half the people who just wander into these relationships. Like, my mother was married four times, and I can tell you right now, I was not a fan of any of her husbands, even her Shit. first one, who was yeah. my father. So, um, you know, it's just, 
you you did good for those kids. You definitely did good for your kids and good for yourself. Well, I'm trying. It's it's you know, and, and it's one of those things I realized pretty quickly. It's it's all it's a moving target, right? And basically, you know, it, it's one of the. It, it's interesting because you know I got together with my, my now wife, and. She was a package deal with the kids. So it's like, okay. I mean, I'd never thought of kids as a thing that I wanted to do, but it was wife and kids or no wife. Well, girlfriend and kids or no girlfriend. And I really, really liked her. Um, so I was like, well, let's let's see how this goes. And at first, you know, it's like, okay, the, they're really cool kids. I, I, you know, I like them a lot. They're, they're, they're funny. They're, you know, they're just, they're good kids. And I liked them, but there's a, you know, there, there's an aspect where you're kind of like, okay, but I like them because they're attached to this person that I'm interested in and that, you know, <laughs> it's a package deal. But then the longer that you spend with them the more, it's like, okay. Yeah. But now I like them for them too. Which and is it's fantastic. like, oh shit. And like, well, now I've really got it, you know. So, but I mean, when it comes down to them, I, I want them to be happy and, and I want them to be good people. And if if they can be both of those things, then I feel that I will have been somewhat successful as, you know, an evil step parent. Oh, now I feel bad about continually calling you an evil step parent because you, <laughs> you clearly care more about some people's biological parents. So, I mean... That's fantastic. So, do you do you mind me asking why you never thought you would want to have kids? Like, I mean, being a lesbian, I I mean, we we kind of both, you know, I can't even say that. Everyone's experience is different, but I I never imagined myself having kids ever. And mm -hmm. now I have a ranch with a bunch of horses. Now, furry babies, I get people argue that they don't count, <laughs> but I didn't see myself as a horse person either. And here I am with horses. Which also came as a package deal to with my wife, so. And fur babies definitely count. Absolutely. Um, no, I just I've never considered myself to have any like kind of maternal instinct. Um, I don't like babies. They're. Mm. Well, I get in trouble because I refer to them as the larval form of humans. I but... mean, that's not far <laughs> off. <laughs> I mean, they are. They're like partially finished, and they're kind of like squishy and weird looking, and I mean, they just have fluids back... coming out of various orifices. And I mean, going back to what like... you said about squishy and like mm -hmm. like grizzly. I mean, yep. there you go. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And you know, they don't tell you what they want or why they're crying. They're just these like bundles of want and need that are kind of gross. Um. And, you know, I figured, well, you don't get to kids without babies, so <laughs> we'll just skip the whole kids thing. Well, it turns out you can get kids if someone else has to deal with them being babies and you're a step-parent. <laughs> Loopholes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's one of those things that I never really saw for myself, but I'm, I'm glad that, you know, that I decided that I wasn't going to have that be a deal-breaker when that came around as part of a package deal with with Lynn and the kids. Um, she's definitely worth it, and so are they. So how did you two meet? Uh, Taylor's oldest time. We worked together at the same library. Aww. 
I'm sorry. I'm just thinking about two librarians getting together, and now I'm just like, I read too much fan fiction. I'm really sorry. Continue. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, she'd been working there for a while, and I started there, and we would chat, and I, you know, I think we both sort of found that that we were having you know, making excuses to, to come and, and chat with each other. And, you know, and it's one of those things where I think it's it surprised kind of both of us. I was not in a place where I was looking for a relationship and Lynn had never been with a woman. So isn't that how it always works? Mm-hmm. But you know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, they hit a certain point and it was like, shit. Yeah. <laughs> There's chemistry there and we're both interested and so we we just kind of took it from there. Oh, that's cute. Uh, she says that I first got her attention when I was willing to have a inter- entertain a discussion with her about if you could be if you could be a vegetarian cannibal if all you ate were other vegetarians. Now that is love. I can see why <laughs> that she grabbed onto that. I mean. I would like to hear how that conversation played out, but I'm sure the details are fuzzy at this point. How long have you two been together? <laughs> oh, gosh. It's been about five years now. Five years. Wow. Okay, so how did that conversation go? I'm sorry. I'm, like, really fascinated now. I'm like, how did this play out? <laughs> I, don't, I don't even remember how it started. All I can remember is that we both agreed that, yes, a cannibal could keep their vegetarian cred if they only ate other vegetarians. I mean, how would you know if they were also vegetarian? I mean, then again, vegetarians do have a tendency to continually announce that they are vegetarian. Are you a vegetarian? I just want to ask real quick. Uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, do you find that to be true in the vegetarian community that people are always announcing that they're vegetarian? What, you know, you know what? I'm thinking about it now, and I'm thinking that's not really a far-fetched thing. Not that I thought it was before, but that stereotype should not be like look down upon because when you think about it people have this idea that normality is well normality that it's it's the way that everyone is and that people have to be told that no some people are different mm-hmm. and you know it's just the same way as like when we have to announce to people sorry i'm not straight i mean it's kind of like the same damn thing it's not that we're constantly announcing that we're not straight it's just we're letting you know sorry i can't you know be put into that line i i just i'm not on that train you know right Yeah. And I mean, it's one of those things that for me doesn't necessarily come up, except, I mean, at work, everyone knows I'm vegetarian because our group goes out to eat sometimes. And, you know, they'll ask and I'm like, I don't really care as long as they have meatless options. There we go. I feel like I'm growing as a person during this interview. (laughs) (laughs) I am here to help. I'm so glad. So I've not been eating meat for eh, between two and three years now. And my wife has been vegetarian for like 30 years. And for me, it was one of those things where, you know, I wasn't necessarily comfortable eating meat, but I didn't know how not to. I see. Um, And I'm, I'm not much of a cook. So I I cook a lot more than, than I used to because I refuse to be one of those people who's like, you know, well, the wife does all the cooking, blah, blah, blah. Like, no, I can, I, I can read a recipe and follow basic directions. Uh, I'm not going to flambe anything, but I can cook, you know, if, if the directions are there and I, I have step-by-step instructions. Um, 
But after moving in with, with her, it was like, oh, okay, so there are these options. There are these things that I can do. And I didn't really miss it. So, yeah. So just go out with someone who's been vegetarian for 30 years, and before you know it, you'll be vegetarian too. Easy peasy. <laughs> Um, my question that I have for you now is more along your past. Like, um, when was the first time you realized queer or lesbian as a thing? So, I mean, the first time I remember, like, aside from, you know, there there was a, a, a schoolyard insult where people would call each other gay lords when I was a kid. Gay lords? Which probably I mean, dates me. Gay lords. Mm -hmm. That at least sounds a little bit more like up there than just calling people dykes. <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> well, and, and I mean, this was like grade school. So, you know, I remember that, but never really knowing kind of what that meant. It was just that thing that you yelled at each other and, and that was it. What I first remember sort of really understanding what it meant was in ninth grade, I was in Mrs. Race's Latin class which I only took for one year because languages are not my thing, especially not dead ones. And then I took art after that much better. Anyway, someone had put <laughs> up a billboard in um, Osborne village, which was, you know, one of the sort of the more like trendy kind of hip neighborhoods uh, in, in Winnipeg where I grew up. And the, 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 the billboard just said, lesbian is not a bad word and you know we so we were all just you know the, the class my, my my classmates and i were just kind of shooting the shit about it before before our actual class started and that was the first time that i really sort of understood what what gay meant and what lesbian was and th this idea that you know two people of the same gender could love each other and that at least according to the billboard that wasn't a bad thing though some of my classmates seemed to think that was gross um so yeah that was that was kind of the first time it, it really showed up on my radar not that it was something that i thought to apply to myself at that point um that that would come a year or two later when i would realize that oh okay no no <laughs> that's me i'm not immune from this whole like fall head over heels and be stupid about other people. I just was feeling superior because you guys, you all were doing it for boys and that just wasn't my bag. Oh my goodness. So, <laughs> so when did that happen for you? <sighs> I figured it out. It was a combination of two things. It was the summer that, <laughs> so uh, I, I grew up Catholic and we would go to church every Sunday. Uh, but in the summer, our, our usual like singing group would go on a hiatus and we would have um, some younger people from, from the congregation would sing. And that particular summer, there were these twin girls who were singing in, in this group. And th they were not great, but they were cute. And I remember getting really excited to go and and, you know, go to church for the first time ever um that i could remember because religion has has never been my thing at all um and yeah but man it, it was it was sure fun to go watch cindy and, and shelly sing every sunday 
You have a great memory. You're like telling me who your seventh grade teachers were and the name of the girls you first had crushes on. I'm like, I can't even remember what I ate for dinner like yesterday. <laughs> um, so, you know, you'd think that that would have been enough to kind of clue me in. But no, I was just kind of excited that, you know, there were these nice girls and they sang real great, even though they didn't. And it wasn't <laughs> until a few months later, after we'd gone to see the movie Stargate, that I finally put everything together because Stargate, and I don't remember, I don't know if you've seen it. Um, I think the, I saw it a long time ago. Something about, yeah. well, like it was like a space thing that also integrated Egyptian culture as the aliens. Yes. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. I'm glad yeah. I got that reference because I was like, I'm trying so hard. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's this bad guy. And I actually, I thought he was kind of attractive. And then I remember overhearing a couple of my, um, my my classmates talking about this movie and how this bad guy looked like a girl. And it was like I had just been struck by lightning. And I was like, holy shit. Oh, no. I'm not attracted it's... to evil. It's because they thought they were a woman. Yes. I mean, yeah. that's kind of good in retrospect. <laughs> But it, it just, you know, it just brought everything, everything together. I wasn't superior because I didn't feel this, this attraction that was making my classmates into stupid people. <laughs> I just was looking in the wrong place. Um, so, yeah, that, that clued me in on a lot of things. I think I was 16. I didn't come out to my parents until I was like 20. I don't um, blame you. Yeah. Well, not, yeah, not in a Catholic household. Um, but that was kind of the first time that I, I acknowledged it to myself. And I didn't acknowledge it to anybody else until uh, the beginning of my freshman year in college. I, we have, like, parallel experience here. It's, it's kind of the same for me. Really? Yeah, minus minus the cute twins singing in church. Um, <laughs> not saying there weren't cute girls singing in church for me, but I'd certainly that's that's kind of the same. Like I didn't acknowledge it until I went into college either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it was one of those things that I was I was not going to act on it with anybody that I knew because no one that I knew swung that way as far as you know I was aware of. Now, I mean, half of my basketball team has come out since high school. Oh, my but... goodness. <laughs> but when we were all in high school, you know, half of those those girls had boyfriends. And if they didn't, it, they certainly weren't going around saying, hey, I like girls. Not in the 90s. Um, no. So, yeah, college was... And I, I didn't even actually date anyone until the end of college. My my lesbianism was was mostly uh, theoretical up until that point. Oh my god, me too. Mm -hmm. Isn't it funny though? It's like it was theoretical, but I knew. It's and I I I did date a guy mostly to see if I was bi, which it turned out I wasn't. And he was kind of a dick. And so at one point I did thank him for proving to me that I'm not bisexual. <laughs> I know it was so worth it. Um, you know, even though I hadn't slept with women, I knew what I liked. Right. You know, I didn't have to, I didn't have to fuck anyone to know what I was interested in. Right. I really hate the people who are like, how, you know, do, how do you know if you haven't done it? I'm like, well, how do you know that you're not attracted to a cow? Like, stop. <laughs> 
Exactly. Well, what gets me are the people who are like, oh, you like boyish girls? Well, how come you don't like men then? And it's like... There is well, a big difference, sir. Yeah. Just because I like gummy worms doesn't mean I'm going to eat earthworms, so screw you. Ooh, I'm going to put that one away for later. I'm going to put it that one somewhere. away. I, it doesn't <laughs> matter. It was so good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that one away. So speaking of Stargate making you realize that um, you were queer... Uh, tell us about your new book that I'm pretty sure is also going to be pretty stargate and queer. Probably not stargate I don't know why I just jumped to that. <laughs> Sci-fi and queer. I don't know. <laughs> it, it is pretty damn queer. It's uh, it's actually, it's a paranormal, so it's not like a, a space opera this time. Let me and just put it my is... foot all the way in my mouth. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's, hey, I'm, I'm really liberal with my definition of sci-fi, so right. <laughs> it's all sci-fi to me. Um, and it's actually a sequel to my, my first Paranormal, which came out a couple years ago. So that one was Five Moons Rising, and this one is called Hunter's Descent. And it follows the continuing adventures of Malice and Ruri. Uh, Ruri is a werewolf without a pack, and Malice is a genetically engineered super soldier who works for the U.S. government to kill paranormal creatures who have gone rogue. Alice. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's her code name. Her real name is Mar Mary Alice, but you know when when she's in uh, in in hunter mode, she goes by Malice. Um, I'm gonna have to look at this book. I love paranormal, and may maybe that's just my guilty pleasure. But like, this sounds really interesting. Well, I'm excited about uh, Hunter's Descent because in Hunter's Descent, I work the Fey in. So Malice and Rory go to the Wisconsin North Woods and end up having to deal with fairies. Fucking fairies. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think Malice would agree with you. She's not super thrilled about being there. She sounds like she's probably having a rough time. <laughs> she really is. You know, she's she has this this girlfriend who's a werewolf and no one can know that she's a werewolf or that they're dating because that is super not SOP like at all. of interest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like the, the series is mostly me putting Malice into terrible situations and then watching her squirm. It's I... really fun. <laughs> I mean, apparently that's what people need to do to grow. So I'm <laughs> sure you're, you're doing right by her in some capacity. Oh, Malice has so much growing to do. It's not even funny. Oh, that sounds wonderful. But yeah, that's coming out in October from Bella Books. Hunter's Descent sequel to Five Moons Rising. Well, October is the perfect time for paranormal books. I'm, I'm actually excited about that. It gives me also time to read the first one because now you have definitely piqued my interest. Oh, there you go. Before we let you go, because we've been talking for a while and you have kids and you have cosplay and you have podcast. Wow, you have a lot going on i'm so thankful that you definitely took the time to talk to us i it was amazing but i do have one question for you before uh -huh. you leave sure uh, i have this thing that's called the guest to guest question where my guests from the last podcast asked my guests from this podcast a question without knowing who each other are and in return you will give us a question to give on to our next guest um, sure so our last guest was the creative minds behind Between Friends, the web series. They're now in their um, crowdfunding mode. I'm really hoping for big things from them. And the question they gave to you, which is, what is your greatest accomplishment or 
what would you want to be your greatest accomplishment? Oh my goodness. I know it's really hard. Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, well, my greatest accomplishment to date, I feel, is getting published. Yeah. That that was, was definitely like a major milestone in my life and one that I'm very proud of of having accomplished. Um, what I would like to accomplish is I would like, you know, I, I love publishing Lesfic and I love publishing, you know, in in the Lesfic market. Um, but I would like to break out for some stuff and it it would be really awesome to hit the mainstream. If I could get published by Tor books or someone like that, Oh, you'd have to scrape me off the ceiling. I would be so, so ecstatic. Not that, you know, and it's one of those things. It's funny because I don't think I would ever stop publishing Lesfic because I feel Lesfic is very much, a specific genre and one that even though there there are more queer characters in mainstream publishing i don't consider most of what they publish to be lesfic right and there's definitely a part of me that you know wants to keep writing and telling those stories but i also want to tell stories with queer characters that aren't lesfic and don't necessarily fit what my publisher is is bringing out and so, yeah, I, I would love to be able to kind of have a foot in both worlds. Right. That sounds fantastic. I think it's very important for people outside of those circles to to see us and to see us as normal people. Like, it changes someone's entire perspective. Mm-hmm. If they just know one person who identifies that and knows them as that person first and then secondary as the identification, that didn't come out right. But you know what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah, I do. Right. But I good luck with that. Like for real. Like that's that's a that's a big thing and I I definitely for someone of your determination, you I have a hard time feeling like you're not going to achieve that one day. No, oh, fingers crossed. I have a manuscript I'm working on now that I'm hoping I will be able to maybe get an agent with and busy body, busy yeah. body. Chris, you know, I have to get past chapter four, so <laughs> that's how far I've gotten. <laughs> I mean, at least you have started it. It's not just sitting on a shelf somewhere and like in a pile of sticky notes. Ooh, sticky notes. I should make sticky notes. You should make sticky notes. <laughs> <laughs> well, so usually I I plot things out pretty thoroughly. I'm I'm most of the time I'm very much an outliner, but this particular story all it, it, it's it's a journey um and so my outline is actually a map that's all i have for my outline i have a map Ooh. and i have my 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 journey is plotted on it and that's all i'm going with and so it's kind of scary because i'm used to having more of a, a, a safety net i i know where i'm going and i know where she starts but everything in the middle is just lines in a map right now so that's very interesting. That sounds like one of those challenges you see on Tumblr. Like they have like the the hundred theme ramble thing where you like do short fix of mm-hmm. during a theme. That sounds like one of those kind of challenges where it's like, well, here's a map. Now you have to make a story off of this map or off this whatever. That that sounds really fascinating. I'm I hope it goes well for you. Me too. Thanks. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. So what 
question will you have for our next guest? Oh, gosh. See, I've been trying to think of one and talk to you at the same time. Um, <laughs> um, I, take take your time. Trust me. I will shorten this to where you got it, like, immediately. Ah, so. okay. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, let's, let's maybe something about hobbies. If there is, yeah, what what hobby is there out there that you wish you could do that you don't currently? I, like, I'm just going to answer the question. I wish I could be one of those people that do, like, the, this is a dumb hobby, but, like, go to, like, beer festivals and, like, try all the beer and, like, be a beer connoisseur or whatever, because I hate beer. Mm -hmm. I hate oh, it really? so much. It tastes it tastes awful to me. There is nothing that they can do to make beer taste appealing. I'm so annoyed by that because beer is so cheap and there's so many different varieties and I just can't partake. I think it's like more of a, I regret that I don't like this, but I have utterly no control over it. That and quiche. I just, mm. this is not for me. Uh, see, I wish I liked cilantro. Same. I don't like cilantro either. It, it tastes weird to me. And people are like, what mm -hmm. are you talking about? It doesn't taste like anything. And I'm just like, it tastes awful. Like I can tell when it's in anything. I hear that that's a genetic thing. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard the same thing. And it's just one of those things that, you know, it's just the people who like it seem to like it so much. And I really wish I could experience it that way. But no, I feel like I've got a mouthful of soap. Right. And I just hate that I'm like in Tex-Mex land where everything has cilantro in it. I'm oh, just like, yeah. no, it's not good. Like, can we please have some guac without cilantro, please? Please. You're absolutely... Oh, we're getting off tangent. So, how would you answer that question? Oh, gosh, because I need another hobby. <laughs> um, no, can you add another hobby? <laughs> <laughs> well, so, one of the other things that I do that I didn't talk about, you know, aside from video games, is I, I also play Dungeons & Dragons. Oh, Nice. And what I really want to do is start an actual play Dungeons and Dragons podcast with other lesbian authors. <gasps> That's doable, though. But where will you find the time? Exactly. Oh, no. It's like, I really, really want to do it, but I don't want to give up any of the other things that I do. I thought I saw a podcast that was kind of like that, but I don't think it's still running. Yeah, there, there are a number no of podcasts. There, there are some, you know, some queer podcasts, lesbian podcasts. I'm listening to a podcast right now, a D&D &D podcast, which is, um, it's a bunch of YA authors. And that oh, one's a goodness. lot of fun. Mm -hmm. That one's called Spellcheck. Uh, check it out. Oh my gosh. It's nice. It's a lot of fun. Um, That's <laughs> yeah, clever. That's a clever a name. Title. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there are a number of them out there. I don't know that, you know, anyone's done the lesbian angle yet. And I would love to be the first, but I don't know when I'm going to do that. I, I mean, if you do, let me know. I will listen. I cannot get enough of less pick in my life. So, mm -hmm. I mean, not to say that I'm the person that if I hear the word lesbian, I turn, but I am. So <laughs> there's no point lying here. <laughs> like, if I hear anything about like, oh, she kissed a girl, I'm turning. Like, it doesn't matter what the context of that conversation is. It's a sad fact of my life. But here we are. Hey, we, we got to support our own. Exactly. Even if that means being really nosy. <laughs> that's why I run a podcast. Come on now. Uh -huh. um, so, yes, Seems that's, legit. that's fantastic, fantastic answer. Why don't you let everyone know where they can find you? All right. I am Lise McTague, M-A-C-T-A-G-U-E. I am at LiseMcTague.com. I am at Lise McTague on Twitter. I am on Facebook under Lise McTague. 
Uh, I have an Etsy shop called The Weapons Workbench or TWW Props. I can't remember which one I actually have it set at at the moment. Um, oh, and of course, our podcast, Les Geek Out, that I do with Andy. And I'm so excited for all of your projects. I still need to, like, pick your brain and figure out how you have time to balance everything. Like, how? I don't... I talk to all of these people who have all of these things that they're doing at once. And I'm just like, how do you juggle this? How How do? And I, I really think it's just something in your guys' blood. Because I just... I don't know. <laughs> well, I have to tell you, the less time I have, the more I can cram into it. Because when I have large swaths of uninterrupted time, I get this feeling like I've got so much time, I can do whatever. And when I actually find that I'm more productive when I have to work it in around other things. So you're like a, uh, like a deadline buff. Oh, very much so. Yeah, I live and die by deadlines. I live and die by deadlines. I had that <laughs> tattooed on somebody's body. I know it. I just know it. Um... You live by the deadline, you die by the deadline. Yep. 